This podcast is brought to you by JBL. Employing the best methods and tools, audio technology is at the core of everything JBL creates. Never straying from a ground-up approach to everything they build, JBL has produced a prolific list of audio achievements, groundbreaking technologies, and revolutionary advances in the art and science of professional audio. JBL, passion for sound and those who create it. Learn more at JBL.com. Hello and welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. How's it going? Good, man. What's going on? <laughs> Nothing. Sorry. I don't do very many uh, Zooms, so it's always like, I'm like the kid in the audio class that's like, I'm not getting any sound, you know, like in the back. So Yeah, and the headphones aren't plugged in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like that too. Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield. And today we chat with mastering engineer Josh Bonatti about Sada Bonaire's 1984 self-titled release. So we're here today to talk about that um, Sada Bonaire record, the self-titled record that I guess was released originally in, in 1984. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's right. It was 84. Um, I th I think in total, the band was really together for, I mean, I think it was like a just a couple year jaunt, you know, so that um, record was done in 84, but of course kind of got... Um, blown out of the water by things at the label and then yeah didn't resurface uh you know it was a record i worked on as a reissue that came out in 2013 which wow it's been like 10 years ago um so yeah there was a single basically that came out in 84 but this whole collection that i'm kind of talking about you know um came out much later yeah, and w did you get turned on to this record because you were uh, doing the remaster? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny how things go down with the reissues or the remaster sometimes. Sometimes things will will get sent to you and you're like, oh my God, I totally know this record. This is going to be so, so fun. you know. Um, and other times things just show up and you're like, I don't know what this is, but I better do my detective work on it um just to see what's going on and track down some original copies you know and listen to them just kind of do your due diligence on what the audio you know the previous audio sounded like and all that so no i didn't know really um anything about the record i didn't know it kind of in passing you know sometimes it's like that with three issues like oh i know this band but i haven't really absorbed this record but no it was totally new to me and um yeah, it's a wild story. It's um, it's cool and it's great. It's one of those um, gratifying things with reissues where you're super happy that the record um, sees the light of day again and it's completely found a new audience. That's kind of the best thing about it. Yeah. Do you want to tell the story before we get into tracks on this, or do you want do you want me to tell the story? Because it is. It is um, if you sat down to write like a completely fantastical idea of what a record is and the people involved, you you might come up with something for, for this album. 
that would be. Yeah. No, I think you should. I think you should take a whack at it. And then I think we'll probably just go back and forth because there's so many. I mean, I think there's so many details that I don't even know, but I kind of know that the the skeletal structure of how things together. But it's one of those records you can really uh, the more you research it, you find out a bunch of uh, cool little details. And I just actually found out one today as I was kind of like going over my previous cheat sheet you know for the record yeah. so um i'll throw that in at the appropriate time yeah so there was this guy named ralph von richtoven of course um, he was a who dj was, who was a dj um that uh was a german guy and this was this band was conceived in germany and i guess his girlfriend was stephanie lang and she had a friend named claudia hosfeld and um they were the two front uh uh, women for this band and they um dressed like bedouins and um you know then the cover would suggest that this is like an arabic susie and the banshees record but um it is not um and it was produced by dennis Beauville, who is like a legendary you know dub master and, and reggae producer um in craftwork right. studio in cologne <laughs> so <laughs> It just gets it gets funnier and funnier as you as you go. So that's the detail that I just learned. Really, is that um, you know, like a slight background is that this uh, it was a record that was supposed to come out on EMI, right? That was the label, EMI Germany, right? And the lab the label uh, apparently uh, the you know the band was connected with an A and R person um, at EMI Germany who they didn't really have that much contact i think after they got signed you know so they were they were kind of had a little bit of contact with the label and the label had wanted um connie plank to produce the record mm. um uh, it's, you know assuming at, at his studio right it was kind of out in, out in the country and so i guess the band really wanted dennis to do it which it would have been cool to hear the Connie Plank version too, but obviously this this version that Dennis um, Bovell produced is is amazing. I mean, that guy's a great producer, and it it's um, his sound is kind of all over, right? I mean, it does it's really great low end to the record. It's got um, you know kind of shades of of dub production and musicality like all over the place. It, it's something that makes it like such an awesome uh record to dj it's just it djs really well you know so it was like yeah that this um you know dj ralph um richtoven was basically he was a club dj that put this whole idea for this group together but i i just learned the connie plank detail um yesterday yeah i didn't know i didn't know that one and one one of the the other details i i learned was that that he had gone uh, and found a bunch of musicians for this thing at the uh, Turkish Communist Community Center. And yeah. you end up hearing like all of this, you know, all of that world music influence and, you know, doombecks and, and, you know, other ethnic instruments that normally wouldn't end up necessarily on a German new wave record, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a couple of things about that. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think, you know, we've kind of phased out of this now, um, luckily, where 
records like that would have maybe been shelled into like a quote unquote world music category, right. which is, you know, now luckily it, we see it as kind of like a meaningless term. It was really more of like a kind of a pop art project, right? That was kind of, that was, that was uh, DJ Ralph's um, whole idea. And the thing about the, the, the Turkish, you know, I think I have a, I have a suspicion that there's, there's kind of a misprint in talking about where he got the musicians from. I'm totally speculating on this but um because i've seen it written as oh he because he was involved in social work too as far as i understand so mm -hmm. he um that's probably how he know knew where this um like this turkish community center was. i have a feeling it was really just a community center and not a communist community center i i just because i've seen you know, it'd be very easy to make a misprint and make and spell community is communist and then people and it's just like a totally different vibe from that so i wonder if that's actually true i mean the thing that does it, that definitely is true is that he managed to kind of corral a bunch of um turkish and kurdish i think musicians to kind of come play on the on the record um that's that's certainly true and that's what's really um cool about it. like i heard a i heard you know these these stories all change that's what's fun about this record i heard that first oh he met some musicians at like the the equivalent of the dmv in germany and got them to play on the like this stuff that's kind of fantastical like mythical about yeah. this record and when you listen to the record there's so much stuff going on that um it, it, it makes this there's all these mysteries that are that are fun to think about but yeah it's like so Dennis's production, like just just sick, like dub inspired production, plus these mus musicians over the top of it, plus you know the two kind of non singers on the on the record. You know that's what makes it kind of cool too. Like um, the the fact that it's you know what it reminded me initially when I heard the record is um, you know a group that's that was based uh, in the Bronx, like here in New York City, was ESG. Yeah. Right. How there was like there's on the ESG record, um, there was kind of a lot of talking, singing going on. And I just that um, ESG was someone who I always loved. And when I heard Sabonair, I that was the first connection I made. I was like, oh, this is like a, this is like a bizarre kind of um, German. Um, yeah, like ESG with the, with these other overtones to it. So that's that's that was the way that um, I first kind of like got my footing like at hearing the record you know yeah the the singing is very affected and sort of i'm so bored you know um, yeah it took me a second to sort of get my head around it and you know we all are listening to tons of music all the time and and, and in a variety of genres so to sort of parachute into this one um i'll you know be honest and say it didn't sort of grab me the first go around and as I listened to it more and more, I was like, Oh, this is pretty hip, you know, and you, you start to hear more what they were going for. And it actually has some really great tracks on it. it it's not, you know, they have that single, you could be more as you are. My act, my favorite tracks are not that, that one. Uh, there's a lot of uh, deeper cuts on the record that are really cool for a variety of different reasons. And you know, what's an extra benefit that I discovered about this record is, um, is that it's really fun to listen to slow down. Like you can chop and screw it yourself and it sounds amazing. Slow. In fact, I've got a couple of recordings I just made 
just for my own amusement of um, some of the tracks like slowed way down like dj screw style and the record sounds amazing that way too so it's like one of those i can't remember i you know i did the vinyl cut for this for this collection and it was a double lp but i i think i cut it at 33 and a third so it's not like a 45 rpm thing where you accidentally slow it down i think i just slowed it down even more on my turntable in the studio which is uh which is an uh techniques 1200 mark 5 that has you can the the pitch range is even lower than the normal one so i just slowed it way down um sounds awesome super slow too so just interesting uh, yeah it's just maybe something weird that i did I think I'm right on this is that Dennis really uh, I'm not sure he was there like producing the whole time he was definitely mixed the whole record that's when they did it at Kraftwerk studio the the original one right that was in Cologne Mm -hmm. in Germany I think they right Kraftwerk moved their whole studios in like mid 2000s or something like that but this was the this is the old one and I guess they were one of the like it's you know slight technical detail they had like one of two like digital consoles and like all of germany or something it was like an ssl digital console i can't remember which model number and um so they they kind of worked at that place i think as dennis was you know super busy at the time too so he was like hey i can only mix the record from this date to this date so find me a nice studio and i think that that's uh kind of how they ended up there it seems and then i mean something we should we should say too about the single that was released. Um, you could be more as you are is that, that, yeah, that was really the only thing that, that came out. And the, I think the intention behind the band uh, or the, the project really that, you know, the DJ, uh, DJ Ralph had intended was it, they weren't really going to be releasing records. They were released. He was a DJ that wanted to play 12 inch singles. And so they were just going to really release concentrate on releasing singles, right? Like trying to get a big hit with a, a single so i don't think there was a lot of album uh thinking like going on you know this the fact that this record we're talking about exists as an album is really because it's it it's a it's a kind of compilation i think that must have been a discussion between sabonair and you know captured tracks who were the people who did the reissue right some of the tracks on the record um you have any favorites 
more women is one of my is one of my favorites on the record i actually do really like the single uh as well um you could be more as you are and uh you know for that single too that's the the thing that's the sad thing about the story too is that like you know they got dropped because i think they had to say an an r person that was also um pushing for tina turner right so like they'd spent way too much money on tina turner but of course that was going to pay off um no one made knew it at the time so emi was like do we keep going with tina turner she seems to be rocketing up into the stratosphere or do we keep going with this kind of odd non-singer kind of project weird synth group should we put money into that and so the you know i think the label just they went with tina turner and they dropped Sodom and Air, and that must have frustrated, really frustrated them, and they kind of blew up the band, um, and they kind of just disappeared for like a long time. Or we can assume DJ Ralph went back to DJing, and um, and um, one of the one of the women was was his fiance, right? But I think that relationship um, ended at the time. But um, just to throw that in about the single, mm, interesting. Because it's a, it's really the main reason why we didn't know about this record until it was put out as a reissue was because, a, you know, a big label made a move that kind of really just stepped on the, the throat of a of a of a band and kind of just kind of made it disintegrate, you know. And yeah, that and never just, happens. Never happens. No, that's not a common story. <laughs> um. I, I laughed when I and I had to go to start doing a little sleuthing myself. Um, that tune, Heart Overhead, it literally is in the same key and the same chord progression and the same riff as Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. Oh, is that true? Wow, that's a I good mean, detective it's, work. It's spectacularly close. Yeah. Um, and they both came out in 84. So I thought that was also interesting. So I, I feel like there's probably a few more layers to go on that one to figure out where, um, you know, where that originated, but probably with neither of them. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's curious. No, that's, that's a cool thing you've uncovered there. I didn't even, didn't think about that. I just don't. Yeah. Well, we'll reference that now. one that i really liked was shut the door because you really you hear all those reggae and dub undertones but the tones are super german and very yeah. uh very clean and very 80s you know less lee scratch perry broken tape machine vibe you know um right 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 Oh, 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 oh,
So yeah, I think I was going to ask your opinion on this. Like um, to me, that the record has, uh, you know, wears a little bit of kind of the '80s production, you know, cliches maybe on its sleeve a little bit stylistically, but it still sounds that record still has these songs rather, I guess, as a collection still have a a bit of, um, they have a timelessness to them. And, um, it still sounds really fresh to me. And when you, when you DJ that record and I mean, I only DJ a couple of times a year at very, very small bars, but it, it always seems to work, um, really well. And it doesn't sound kind of a kitschy, like throwback thing. It just sounds, it still sounds like cool, modern music to me in some way like esg stuff sounds like that to me too but i I was wondering if it had the same effect on you like if you think that that's true i do think it you know going back and listening to it um compared to the you know what its equivalent would be today i mean it does sound super fresh and it sounds super unique because um so much you know, contemporary and, you know, sl- quote, pop music making has just been homogenized to the point of uh, that you can't almost discern artist to artist in a lot of times because of all of the plug, same plug-in, same setting, same sample pack, same everything. And so there is something, you know, clearly more unique about listening to a record like this that just feels like a bit of a, it, it is a bit of a time capsule, but it also sounds fresh because I think that we've just been inundated with so much sameness that it does sound new, you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. That's true. Like, um, yeah, it just, that's the thing that struck with me when I heard the record is it just does sound still really fresh. And, and especially a lot of the, like what's going on with the lyrics and some of the things that they're kind of like vaguely addressing still seem to be very relevant topics. Like there's a kind of like a lot of uh, androgyny or um, kind of a lot of, you know, almost kind of gender fluidity stuff going on with the lyrics or even the like the song more women where they're taught, they're basically kind of complaining about like being followed around by men too often in Berlin. It's like, we would rather have more women around, you know, like this kind of thing. It's still like, there's a, there's a timelessness to what they're talking about. That's, you know, they were coming out of like club culture too in the eighties. I think when that stuff was really starting to bubble up. think maybe the only thing that sounds or that seems a little um dated which i i I don't mean to give this a pass it's it's more just like it's i think it's maybe just for the time but you know the whole aesthetics of the record where it's like i mean we're talking about like two like white women from germany who are like wearing shadors you know with high heels and all this kind of there might you know were you to do some of that stuff today you might be in a, a a a, a pot of hot water for you you know for some cultural appropriation and stuff but i really i do kind of chalk it up to it being 1984 and the world's not totally opening and connected and that they were really just 
they were really just interested in a lot of things and they're hanging out with DJ Ralph and they're hanging out with all these musicians from basically, you know, around the world who are playing on this record. And um, so I think they were um, just kind of exploring things that, that way. Um, So I hope, I hope that is something that's um, that, that people can kind of, I don't know, just just look at it as being um, from the context of the time, and it doesn't doesn't strike me as being anything that's like um, certainly not, not offensive about the record, but it's it's just something to notice and be like that's yeah. that's interesting. They had they had their own thing. I mean that's the un, that's the undeniable um, part of it. So there's just yeah. a lot of there's a lot of things to notice about the band, and that makes it really interesting. And yeah, there's certainly nothing. Uh, homogenous about the production and stuff they were were doing and the record record sounds really really good i think yeah i mean i i i had the uh same cultural appropriation thought and like you probably wouldn't get away with that today um and you know in the same way that you know you would never release bad news bears today you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's yeah. just you go back. I remember watching that with my with my son, uh, who was a you know, big baseball fan, and he was pretty young at the time. And he, yeah, he looked at me like, "Huh? Like, like you what? Like, Dad, was, you like it, this movie? Yeah." I was just yeah, and I went, "Man, I, I, yeah, I didn't remember it being like this." So anyway, it uh, yeah, it's it's a relic and a, and a bit of a time capsule in that way, and and and. Um, uh, like you said, not to give it a pass, but you know who knows what they were thinking. I, I, uh, we, we weren't there, but well, I think I think also, I don't. Here's another thing I don't really know is I don't. I think this is primarily a studio project. You know, I don't think there was a touring or uh, I'm not. Sh- I haven't heard anything about kind of documented live performances, and so some of this stuff with with their aesthetic with the record, especially like the you know, these these kind of um, abstract, you know like um fashion outfits and stuff they put together for some of the photo shoots like and you can see it on the cover of the record too it's like very grainy uh like kind of very vague in a way like there's some i don't know they made it almost kind of mysterious which makes it um better to me or more tasteful i guess i would say yeah Um, and it you know i mean it the cover looks like if you saw it from a distance and didn't see, uh, you know, it, it looks like a Susie and the Banshees record or something, you know? Yeah, it, it totally does. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the cover is, the cover is cool as hell to this record. Come totally, on. totally. And totally, like you said, totally mysterious. Like, what is this? You know, if you found that in an old record store and you'd never seen it, you'd be like, this is so cool. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it definitely, like, acquired a new audience when it came out. I'm trying to think of... Because I worked on several reissues for you know Capture Tracks and their and some their subsidiary label. This actually came out technically on a on a I think a really short lived subsidiary they had that was called Fantasy Memory. I always just think of it as a Capture Tracks record, but that's because they you know that's who I was working for at the time. But but yeah, the parent label is um is Capture Tracks. But yeah, it came out. I think it did really well, and then it went out of print for a while and then they just recently kind of like started um i don't know they repressed it in the like last two years i think and people were really kind of clamoring for it like it started i noticed like the discogs prices and stuff started to go up pretty high and i was like wow i hope they repress this record because it should stay in print you know any final thoughts on this one i think 
um, we should maybe mention really quick that, uh, you know, this, like the way that Captured Tracks got a hold of it, this record, um, was they, uh, you know, Mike Sniper is the guy that runs Captured Tracks and a guy that worked for Captured Tracks, like in Europe was this guy named Andy Greer, who had a, had a band called Thieves Like Us. And I think he was the one who actually... I know the guy. I should probably ask him. Um, he was the guy who kind of found or had heard the single and was like, "What's up with this?" and did some digging and then you know uncovered the whole story and I think maybe got in contact with them. And so I think it was. I think Andy did a lot of the legwork uh, and detective work, and, and then like brought it to um, you know to capture tracks in the U.S. because Andy lives in Berlin. And the and I guess we didn't say in the very beginning this uh, you know this Sodoman era they're not from Berlin they're from Bremen, Germany mm. right um, which is which is west uh, of Berlin quite a bit so um, so yeah I think Andy did the digging really like in in Germany and um, got a hold of them so um, yeah it's a cool story right like there's just a lot of I think actually that a, a band like this is kind of the tip of the iceberg in a way and that's why what makes you know this these reissues and remastering things it's kind of become its own genre now right like the the, the kind of oddities reissue the things that are records that kind of sell themselves with their interesting stories right and, and hopefully good music but i really think there's a lot of stuff like that that's out there that's like this mm-hmm. and it's just didn't see the light of the day because of you know it was the late 70s early 80s or you know these where it just wasn't easy to put all your stuff online yet and have that be an archive. I think, um, I think a lot of people had bad experiences like being on big labels and got their music, like just, uh, disappeared in a way from the universe. And so I, I think of this as like a, a hopeful story that we can, that people are really motivated to dig around for bands like this and do the hard work of contacting them and, and con- convincing them, hey, we really want to release your music, you know, this that it'll continue to go forward and we'll just con- continue to excavate a lot of stuff like this. I mean, not only in Europe, but it, like in, in other places that are underrepresented too, like in the Middle East or. Yeah, for sure. You know, that'd be great, you know, like that would be just fantastic. So um, I was really, really um, excited and 